0: I hope anybody's not stupid enough to write a song.
1: Hello and welcome to Two Stars, the Nottingham Forest podcast from The Athletic. Every week we delve into all the big stories regarding the two time European champions in the company of The Athletics men in the know. On this episode we're rounding up the news from the international break, we'll look ahead to the weekend game against Barnsley and in a special 3-for-1 deal we'll ask, did they really Gioacre for Forest? Available for free wherever you get your pods and ad-free on The Athletic, this is Two Stars. Yes, hello listener, Matt Davis-Adams here to guide you through another week in the life of the world's greatest football club. Later, we'll be joined by The Athletic's senior writer, Daniel Taylor, to discuss the spectacularly unsuccessful Italian trio signed by David Platt. First, though, let's say a big hello to The Athletic's Forest correspondent, Paul Taylor. Hi, Paul. Good morning. How are we doing? Really well, thank you. Alongside, Paul, the incomparable Nick Miller. How are you doing, Nick?
2: Oh, that's nice, That's because uh, that could mean anything, really. It <laughs> could mean in- incomparable in a good way, could mean incomparable in a bad way. But, you know, uh, we'll, I think we'll leave the listeners to decide what that actually means.
1: Well, I've used it because it's uh, a word that was often used to describe Shawn Michaels, a.k.a. the Heartbreak Kid, one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time. So I often think of you and he in the same category.
2: Um, yeah, come before- on, let, put, uh, Matt, let's not ruin this. Let's not ruin this by talking about wrestling.
1: <laughs> before we start, we're going to be reminiscing on the inglorious forest careers of Salvatore Matricano, Gianluca Patracchi and Moreno Manini. later. It begs the question, according to the stat site transfer, marked, those three account for half of the Italians to have played for Forest. Can you name the other three? I'll let you go uh, one each. Paul, you can have the first guess.
3: Oh, Andrea Salenzi.
1: Yes, that's a standout one, really, isn't it?
3: Uh, Nick. Yeah, I'd, I'd be stuck beyond that, so good luck, Nick. <laughs> Yeah, I was too until I looked it <laughs> up. Nick, can, on, you, can you, can oh, you offer you've... any more?
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: Well, um, I think... Um,
2: I can't remember his first name, actually, but one of the... Uh, Dimitriou, was that his name? The guy, the great shout. The uh, oh. winger who signed for, from. Uh, there was great excitement because I think he played for Napoli at one point and then he played about three times and disappeared without a trace.
3: He declared that he was going to be the next Oliver Burke in his first interview. <laughs> Well that's, I mean that's
2: that's kinda of, actually that's sort of panned out uh, as was. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? Fairly
3: accurate. Nikolai Dimitri came on loan
1: from Napoli. He's actually the most recent player that Forest have signed from an Italian club since those three that Platt signed. You know, well over a decade later, nearly 20 years later. Um Paul, there's one more to get. I'll be very, very impressed if you can get it.
3: I'll be honest, I've got absolutely no clue.
2: Can you can you give can you give us a clue? What what kind of era are we talking here? Uh, we're talking fairly recent era, I think.
1: Fawaz era, era loan signing, one of those that you go, oh, here he kicked around in the Premier League for a bit, so he was bound to have an underwhelming spell at Forest.
2: I'm thinking that kind of slightly odd clutch of players that signed when uh, Montagnier was ma- manager, something like that, around then. I'm, I'm struggling to come up with a name. Um, used to play for Manchester United.
3: Oh, oh the striker. Uh, yes. also at Doncaster as well. Uh, oh, I can picture his face. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Scored on his Man United debut as a yes. winner. Nobody had ever heard of him up until this point or very few. He
3: dined out on that goal for ages, didn't mm. he? Hang on, uh, Yes. Yeah, there you go. Makeda
1: played for Forest. Yes. What? Federico Makeda. Yeah, There you go, there's next week's He Played for Forest <laughs> Sorted nicely
2: This is our pod prep in real time <laughs> <laughs>
1: Three games according to Wikipedia In 2016 on loan, my goodness me Loans at Sampdoria, Queen's Park Rangers Stuttgart, Doncaster twice, Birmingham uh, He's now at Panathinaikos Anyway, not many Italians in the history Of Nottingham Forest Football Club By the looks of things I'm sure you got all three of those right, listener uh, Now we're going to go on to internationals No Forest action last weekend, but there were some Reds players involved with their countries over the break. Cyrus Christie played an hour of Ireland's 3-0 defeat to England at Wembley. He didn't get off the bench in their Nations League defeat to Wales. He then appeared as a very late substitute in the goalless draw with Bulgaria. Harry Arter didn't feature, but did manage to pick up an injury in training and was sent home early. Paul, have we got any indication how serious this is? And, And is it a concern that he seems to be picking up a lot of knocks at the start of his Forest career?
3: Uh, the the club say that he's uh, he's fine, that it was just a small problem, and he was basically sent home as a precaution, and then they expect him to be available uh, to be part of the squad that faces Barnsley. Uh, we've got the press conference later on with with Chris Hutton, so I'll certainly ask him there for an update. But uh, the, the suggestion was that there was not uh, not a lot of concern about Arta's long term long-term fitness, and they expect him to be available, thankfully.
1: Okay, that's good news. Tendai DiRiqua played twice for Zimbabwe as they had a doubleheader against Algeria in qualifying for the African Cup of Nations. Nicholas Ioannou didn't much enjoy his time away with Cyprus. He started all three of their games. A friendly defeat to Greece, a limp 2-1 Nations League win against Luxembourg and a 4-0 hammering to Montenegro, also in the Nations League. Better news for Scott McKenna. Didn't get off the bench in Scotland's penalty shootout win in Serbia that saw them qualify for the Euros, but he still got the chance to show that, yes, uh, he can boogie. Uh, He then played the full 90 in the subsequent Nations League defeat to Slovakia at the weekend, came off the bench for 17 minutes in Wednesday's defeat to Israel. Finally, tip of the hat to on loan Brennan Johnson made his senior debut for Wales as a sub in their nil-nil friendly uh, with the USA. Uh, Nick, do you think that that McKenna and Ioannou's involvement mean they're they're less likely to feature at the weekend?
2: But, uh, possibly. I'm not sure whether. Um, I mean, Forest now have a sort of surfeit of left backs, so um, it's, it's possible that you know either the freshly re uh, you know reintroduced into the fold. Ribeiro might play or Guyton Bong so I mean this is this is always the this is what the problem was last season um Forrest didn't have options but now um Hewton does have uh, he has choices you know the, the thing we always say is an attack but now we've got options to um kind of play in defense so if you know, even if they are tired, having come back from international duty, and uh, you know, Houston doesn't want to um, stretch them out too much in what is going to be another bonkers run of games over the next few weeks, then uh, then he's got the option, and you know, it might not be the the first choice, but um, we've got players who can sort of fill in for the first choice players
1: and actually Paul I was going to say Chris Yu will be relieved that there there are no more international breaks till March but but unlike some other national team managers and their players the Forest lads have been been managed quite well by the looks of it you know very few of them have played a full 90 minutes three times in the space of the last week so they they shouldn't come back feeling too fatigued
3: no exactly and i think Scott McKenna will certainly play just purely because he seems to have built up uh, quite a good relationship with uh, with Tobias Figueiredo and uh, I'd be surprised if he wasn't involved particularly with Joe Worrell still being injured he's not expected to be back for a, for a few weeks uh, for a few weeks yet so uh, McKenna's been one of the standout performers amongst the new signings. so I'd be I'd be surprised if he wasn't involved uh, Ribeiro more likely to start I think at left back purely because he's he's done pretty well since being brought back in from from the chiller cabinet
1: yeah that's the trip against Barnsley coming up on Saturday we'll preview that next. So it's a visit to Oakwell for the Reds this weekend as Forest take on a Barnsley side. They've already dumped them out of the League Cup this season and played a big part in Forest failing to make the playoffs last term, although the Reds' own ineptitude played a far bigger part in that particular calamity. Uh, as Paul points out in his piece assessing Chris Hughton's Forest, this is the start of a run of 12 games in 42 days. For the Reds, uh, before we look ahead to this game specifically, it's been announced this week that EFL clubs will be permitted to make five substitutions per game for the rest of the season. Nick, this do you think this is a good idea, first of all, but but secondly, it's going to be a bigger benefit to Forrest than to most other championship clubs, isn't it, given the the gargantuan squad that we're currently working with?
2: Yeah, I mean, I suppose there are two ways of looking at whether, whether this is a good thing or not. One in a sort of objective fairness, which it probably isn't, particularly in the championship when um, you know squads are thinner in terms of quality and just in terms of numbers. But the other way of looking at it is, it's brilliant for Forest because we have just have this colossal squad of um, players, and you know, like I was saying before, we've we, there are so many options now for you know, in attack, in sort of central midfield. Um, maybe slightly less so at the moment in central defence, but um uh but yeah, certainly I think the for for bigger teams with bigger resources and um Forest are obviously one of those in the championship, then um it's good news. Paul, I was quite anti this when it when it was mooted to come back into the into the Premier
1: League this season, but I guess the counter argument other than the fact that we like things that favor Forest is is that the integrity of the competition is not really there anyway is it because of the fact there are no supporters but there might then be at a later stage of the season some supporters it, it, it's one of those seasons where where that argument about integrity is not really going to hold much water.
3: No and I think you've got to look you've got to think about player welfare as well haven't you when you look at the fact that there is so many I mean you mentioned the ridiculous figure there was it 12 in 42 uh, that that's that's a lot of games to be playing for, for any professional footballer. Uh, it, it's telling that when he first took over, Chris Hutton didn't actually make that sub- that many substitutions. It was only one or two here and there. But in the last three games, he's actually used all three subs that are available to him. So it'll be interesting to see if if that kind of policy is maintained and if he does take advantage of, of being able to use all five in every game. I, I guess there'll be a lot of logic to that as they, they go through a demanding run of fixtures like that. You know, Forrest do have one or two injuries to deal with at the minute. You know, arter has got a problem. Worrell's coming back. Graben's had uh, issues of his own, and you don't want that to get to a position where it starts to impact on the team. And, and, and the best way of doing that is to ensure you're not, you know, asking too much of individual players. I know Lyle Taylor was left out of the side recently because they were concerned that they were putting too much, uh, too much burden of, of of pressure on his shoulders to play every game. So. Uh, I think you're likely to see a bit of rotation, but also the substitutions uh, will be used. You, you, you're right. This season there isn't. It's different, isn't it? The, the whole circumstance surrounding football and life at the minute has changed the dynamic hugely. But uh, I think this is one area and one decision they've made that's that's probably a positive one in 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 every sense.
1: To Saturday's game, then Forest back-to-back wins, only one defeat in seven since Chris Hughton took charge. They come into it in decent shape, then, Paul.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It feels like things have slowly started to come together under uh, under Hughton. Uh, to begin with, not not a lot changed. It felt like it was uh, a very similar approach to what we'd seen under Sabri Lamucci. But slowly, you're starting to see Forest evolve under under Chris Hughton, and a few different nuances come to the fore. They're not exactly the same team. They play a very similar formation. Uh, they they start as having a, a starting point of being solid at the back, but they're they're a little bit more. Uh, ambitious going forward They're, they certainly try and keep possession a lot more than, than Sabri Lamucci's side did and, and you know they go into this game on the back of, of two wins very fortunate to beat Coventry got the job done against Wickham they they definitely deserve to win that game and um, they'll go into this one hoping to prove a point at at Barnsley, where the, the last two visits, the high point has been the little bag of sweets they give the media just before the game. Uh, and you won't even that. be getting
1: that this time.
3: Well, no, <laughs> it, it, it's COVID-friendly COVID, COVID friendly sweets, apparently. They, they've been very good. So, uh, yeah, hopefully that won't be the highlight this time when we head to Oakwell.
1: Are we talking you sort of wine gums, the, the sort of chewier sweet, or something from the
3: Haribo collection, or, or more old school than that, even? If we want to go into specifics, there was a bag of Haribo and then some old school, like... Uh, Ten pence mix we used to have when we were kids. <laughs> it was like that, you know indigo violets and uh, fruit salads and stuff like that. you know we're easily pleased those media a lot. Give us a bag of sweets now. happy camper
2: that's a lovely touch, isn't it and it's it's also kind of peak journalist that you've you've Paul you've clearly sort of check this out in advance you, you you've been asking the question whether the sweets are going to be available this time <laughs> That's, you, you've got to you've got to respect that kind of dedication to the craft
3: i'll be honest i miss my pies i, I don't see why we can't <laughs> have a covid friendly pie if you can have a covid friendly bag of sweets, but you know we're lucky we get to go to games and i i, I think that every time i get to go to a football match I, I feel bad for fans that aren't able to be there and it it, it doesn't feel the same without fans there it just the atmosphere isn't there, and I, I hope we get to a point very soon where great to have fans back in the stadium on any level at all because it's football's just not the same without them. No,
1: nope, but it looks as though there might be some movement on that before too long, hopefully.
4: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
5: Hello, I'm Ian McIntosh. And despite literally spending months of my life playing football manager, I'm still terrible at it. That's why I'm launching The Football Manager Show, the latest podcast from The Athletic. Every week, I'll speak to the people who know the game best, the people who make the game. We'll take a proper look at things like training, recruitment and tactics. We'll try to answer your questions. We'll do everything we can to keep you eager to play just one more game and altogether less inclined to quit without saving. The era of Cherno and Tom, Tom and dear sweet Michael Duff is over. The new Football Manager is bigger, better more challenging than ever. And I need some help. If you do too, you can subscribe now. Just look for the Football Manager Show by The Athletic wherever you get all your other podcasts. It starts in November and knowing my track record, I'll be unemployed by December.
1: Nick, why are Forrest so bad in front of goal away from home this season? They've only scored two goals, failed to find the net in in four of six and in fact they've only won once on the road, that that at Ewood Park in Hewton's first game in charge.
2: I think it's, I mean, it's obviously partly a consequence of the um, the start of the season, the, the new kind of group of players gelling together. It's obviously kind of taken a while for um, the sort of front four to um, kind of, you know, settle and get used to each other a bit more. I think that is something that um, we've we you know we've seen a bit of an improvement of in the um, in the last few games. Obviously, Lyle Taylor's scored a, a few goals, and um, you know Knockout has shown a, a few moments of promise. But I think once those players kind of get used to each other a bit more and gel as a bit more of an attacking unit, then that that might improve. Um, and you, you know I, I think we've, t- we've talked about uh, this before. Perhaps slightly surprisingly, Houghton um, seems to have uh, tried to implement a more kind of positive style of play. Um, we were we were obviously very used to the sort of relatively slow, patient build up that um, Sablu Mucci had. Putin seems to be changing that quite, uh, you know, gradually, and um, you know, perhaps that will bear fruit in a few more goals in the, in the next few games.
1: Yeah, might not be at Oakwell, though. Forest record there, not very good. Beaten on their last three visits. Most recent two of those have come within the last four months. Last time Forrest picked up three points from a trip to this part of Yorkshire, Henry Lansbury scored a hat-trick, and Apostolos Velios also scored. Uh, that said, though, it's not the same Barnsley that started the season. they got a new manager. Gerhard Struber decided Brooklyn was preferable to Barnsley. Uh, Valerin Ismail now in charge. A fairly underwhelming replacement on the face of it, Nick, but he's had a great
2: start. Yeah, three wins out of the first four games. I mean, you can add caveats to those uh, to those three wins. The first one, I think, was against QPR when they had a man sent off quite early on. The last one was against Derby, so, you know, you know uh, easy pickings there. But... <laughs> But you know, after um, you know, not many. I think they only won maybe one or two league games uh, before that. They've certainly picked up. It's, It's interesting that he he doesn't seem to have changed an enormous amount. Um, there was a sort of a brief spell after Struber left where Adam Murray was in caretaker charge and I think the performances picked up were, were but the, the results they were, they were getting a lot of draws and and maybe it's just been a sort of gradual improvement he, 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 he kind of seems, seems to implement a similar style of play to Struber this quite sort of aggressive high pressing system which um, doesn't Necessarily suit their latest rumoured transfer target, which I'm sure we'll get onto in a minute. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a similar formation. It's a kind of variant on a fourth, uh, 3 4 3. Alex Mauer is the, the kind of man to watch out for. Uh, he's been superb recently. He scored an absolute thriker against Watford a few weeks ago. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if Hutton uh, sort of picks the team with uh, keeping Mauer quiet in mind so you know maybe um if if fit uh, hopefully harry arta might come back in to just keep, keep an eye on him so yeah i mean it, it is obviously difficult to see barnsley carrying on this kind of um this you know very strong form but in certain recent weeks certainly they've looked very impressive Paul, we're going to talk about this trio of Italians
1: that that didn't do very well for David Platt at Forrest, but I think if Barnsley can manage to sign Mario Balotelli, that would would be a trump card in terms of Italians playing in the Championship. Is there any chance that that will happen, do you think?
3: I I think, didn't he play for Nice under their under Barnsley's current owners. Is that where the link came from? It's something yeah, like that, I think.
2: Yeah, that, that's what the link is. That The, the, the co- current co-chairman was, was involved at Nice when uh,
3: Balotelli was there, yeah. So you wonder if there might be a, a very slim chance of it, but it, it feels... It, it would be somehow typically Forrest if, if the opposition made an outstanding signing like that shortly before the game, but but... I can't see it happening. Can you imagine him turning out at Oakwell? It just—I mean, I, I like Oakwell. It's like a proper old-fashioned football stadium, but it doesn't feel quite like the stage on which somebody uh, like Balotelli would perform, does it? It—it it, it would be a, a truly outstanding story. And part of me hopes it happens, but but hopefully after Saturday, because I don't want him playing against Forest and and, and you know doing any damage.
2: It doesn't really seem. It doesn't, as I kind of mentioned there. It doesn't really seem to fit the, you know, high energy, high pressing style that um, Barnsley have been trying to play. Um, Ishmael said, I think it was last week at some point, um, when he was asked about free agent targets. He said it's not easy because you can only. Take free agents so the players are not fit, uh, and to play the football I want to, you need a hundred percent fitness. I want to have the feeling a guy is hundred percent ready for my philosophy. It doesn't scream Balotelli, that does it? I mean, it, it would be it 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 would be enormously entertaining to have uh, Balotelli, at Oakwell, but it, it doesn't seem to. It doesn't be even whisper Balotelli, field. does it?
3: <laughs> not really. No.
1: Let's hope that uh, Balotelli's not put off if he if he scrolls through Emmanuel Frimpong's. Twitter feed, You're, you'll remember when, when he signed for Barnsley from Arsenal he tweeted, how am I going to draw girls now? Followed by three crying <laughs> face emojis uh, any excuse to mention that. Um, finally on the game then Paul, you know, Barnsley come into it ahead of Forrest in the table but with our sort of slight sense of entitlement I think we're looking at this that as a game that that three points would be a good result, one point maybe not so much, it's,
3: is that realistic? Yeah, it's, I don't want to harp on too much about saying Chris Hewton's had a, a steady improvement, but hes I think they've won one, drawn one and lost one away from home. And uh, there's been signs of progress. But yes, to, to, to answer your question, they probably need to be going there thinking they want to take three points just to continue that improvement and, and more importantly, send out the message that yes, they do intend to be fighting it out at the top end of the table rather than looking over their shoulders at at the relegation zone. Uh, I think what they've done in recent weeks is is suggest very much that that Forest fans can still look towards the rest of the season with optimism, but uh, if they were to lose on Saturday, then then the mood would change very quickly again as it has a habit of doing at Forest. Uh, more to the point, they also go to Bournemouth after this and that's going to be a very difficult game. So if they could win on Saturday, it would give them a little bit of leeway to, to perhaps think that a point would be a good result at, at Bournemouth. So uh, so yeah, uh, three points on Saturday, please. And um, let, the, let the sweets not just be the highlight of the game.
1: <laughs> what do you think, Nicky? Are you thinking we're gonna going to get a win here?
2: Well, I mean... <sighs> I'm going to speak from a kind of uh, emotional fan perspective, and as you mentioned earlier on, there there is some fairly recent trauma at Barnsley, so I'm not, i from that perspective, I'm not enormously optimistic, and I, and I suppose the you know the form that Barnsley um, have been in recently uh, there is I suppose there is some logical reason to be a bit pessimistic I actually think I mean I, I sort of simultaneously agree with everything you and Paul have just said but also think that a point might actually be a, a decent result um, you know given as, as we've mentioned Forrest struggles scoring goals away from home the recent history of Barnsley and how well Barnsley have been playing recently.
1: OK, 3pm Saturday, the kickoff time for that one. We will, of course, react to the match in next week's show. Last stop for us today. Did they really play for Forest?
5: This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh Football Club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu.
4: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before?
1: Now then, if late 90s indie group the Seahorses are to be believed, 1999 was a hell of a year. Not for Forrest, though. They had David Platt in charge, you see, and it turns out he was an absolutely terrible manager. Uh, As well as displaying gross tactical ineptitude, he also made some truly dreadful signings, the most ignominious of which were arguably the three Italian players who followed Platt to the city ground. Salvatore Matricano, Gianluca Petracchi, and Moreno Manini were their names. Joining us now to discuss the unsuccessful trio is the Athletic's senior writer and Forrest fan. Daniel Taylor. Um, hi Danny, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Are you? Yeah, really good, thanks. Um, c- can you remember your initial reactions when, when news of this triple signing broke? Were you excited or sceptical?
0: Um, I was excited, I think. Um, it was always quite exciting, especially sort of back in, back in those days to have, you know, Italian, big, big Italian names coming to your club and it was all very new and I think obviously you know i was I was a lot younger than I think if it was now, I'd be looking at it thinking i think the big thing was that David Platt was in his early thirties at that time and just that he was he was so young, I think that you know that that is probably his biggest mitigation that um, there aren't that many successful managers of the you know at the age of thirty two around and but at that time, I don't recall that being like hugely spoken about, whereas now perhaps I think I'd be a lot more skeptical about it at work, but I think the the reaction at the time was um you know, it was a new era and I don't think we we, we, we saw how badly it possibly might go.
1: Um, Paul, you were on the other side of the trend at this time. Can, can you remember sort of casting envious glances over the river or were you
3: thinking, hmm, I know how this is going to turn out?
0: He was always envious.
3: <laughs> I think the latter, if we're entirely honest. Uh, you know, when even as somebody who knows a little bit about football, you haven't heard about half of these players, you, you start to worry that they might not be the, uh, the brightest buttons in the box and... and 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 so it proved to so it proved to be it was uh, not the most illustrious of of, of signings that, that Nottingham Forest ever made was it? No, probably not the worst though either. Um, so it was Salvatore Matricano, centre half, signed
1: from Perugia in a joint deal with Gianluca Petracchi, two point four million for the pair of them, and Morena Manini, who came in from Sampdoria, where he played alongside David Platt. And Nick Manini had a really really good CV, certainly compared to the other two, but he was pretty much shot by the time he arrived.
2: Yeah, he um, uh, one of my first impressions was that he looked like um, you know, in Ghostbusters two, the guy that comes out of the painting. Mm, um, Yeah, good shot. He looked exactly like him, so that that wasn't my most amazing first impression. But yeah, he was he played for uh, Sampdoria for quite a long time. He was in the team that um, uh, the Sampdoria team in the nineteen ninety two European Cup final that lost to Barcelona. Um, alongside uh, Ivano Benetti, weirdly, in that team. Um, He was also one of the reasons that um, Des Walker's spell uh, at Sampdoria didn't go particularly well because Sven Joran Eriksson, who was the manager at the time, um, decided that Des was... uh, He had a load of players who could play at centre-back and no full-backs, and he decided that uh, Manini was a better um, bet Centre half than Walker, so Walker played at right back and left back and all over the place. I think, um, but yeah, theoretically, Manini was, um, you know, uh, he had a good reputation behind him. But unfortunately, he was, you know, sixty two or whoever he was by by the time he got to Forest and couldn't really run.
1: Yeah, he was thirty seven. Our friend Daniel Stories just tweeted us, I vaguely recall that you, you being Nick and your dad took me to main road for the one nil defeat. Manini was so, so, so slow that people were openly laughing about it in the away end. Um Danny Salvatore and Matricano actually looked like a decent player, but but he was just unlucky. Thirteen games in he gets injured and, and that was it for him.
0: Yeah, I'll um I mean, don't get me wrong, when I was um, you know, going home in a way but back it as much as I could in those days. I'd actually just moved up to Manchester in, in 1998. So I kind of, um, and I was, I was, there's obviously, I was working um, up in the Northwest and doing a lot of games then. So I actually couldn't get to as many games as I was previously. So I kind of um maybe timed that well, judging by everything I was sort of hearing from my mates that were at the games. But I did go to, um, I remember going to Crew away and seeing a pretty terrible performance and Tony Vaughan getting sent off. And um, it just, it just, you know, very quickly became apparent that it, it wasn't going to work, basically, and, um, I mean, I've, as Nick says, the, these these guys weren't, the, you know, they weren't bums, they were, bit, and I suppose maybe if I can, you know, because there's obviously going to be a fair bit of Platt bashing in in this, just to <laughs> try and provide a little bit of balance, I actually, you know, I um, actually went to do an interview with David Platt a few months ago, and, um just maybe, you know, maybe a few of my kind of assumptions about how he would be were sort of were, were removed in that interview. You know, he, he was really, really open about the fact that in, um, I'll, I'll, I won't swear here, but, you know, that he, he'd cocked up. It wasn't the uh, expression he used himself, but he, he basically talked about he'd made some really bad decisions. Um, he did say the Italians were actually, you know, they were actually, they, they weren't o- over expensive is what he said. You know, one of them was a free transfer Um you know they were on lowest sal- salaries. He said, but he what struck me, and again, you know, don't get me wrong. When I was watching that team, you know, I wasn't very happy with it. So I don't want to be too two faced here, but he he really did hold up his hands more than usual. Football p- football people do. You know, football people love an excuse, and apart from basically saying that he was too young and naive, he just put it all on his own shoulders and basically said that he you know he'd got some you know he'd made some really bad decisions, not just with these Italians, but, but he was talking about just losing the trust of players and spending badly and if, 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 if he could do all everything again he would do it all differently. You know, he talked about up front he had Dougie Friedman and that he lost the trust of Dougie Friedman by putting in Marlon Harewood and then a, Harewood was young and basically didn't do enough to sort of keep his place so he'd take him out and so in the end he'd lose the trust of both of them rather than having... So he was just... He was just it was quite... Um, not eye-opening but it, it was quite interesting just, to, just because I, I'm just not... I'm used to... Interviewing football people, and they've always got an excuse. and It was quite actually quite nice to actually sit with someone and actually to hear them say, You know what, I'm I'm I absolutely balls that up. And he suffered for it because he talked about, you know, he talked about on one occasion putting his CV in for another job, and it wasn't really a CV, it was more of a sort of a plan of you know what he thought about football. And he, did, he didn't even get a reply. And he, um, being the person he is, he basically got in touch with the club and you know they appointed somebody else, and he sort of asked them why. And they, you know, why he hadn't even sort of merited a reply, and they basically just said, look, you know, just look at your time at Forest, you know. So it's quite hard when, when, you know, it's quite a hard stain for him to sort of wash out of his reputation, really.
1: So, Paul, if if we look back at that, can we maybe ascribe some blame to, to Nigel Doughty and, and Mark Arthur? Were they perhaps a little bit enthralled to, to David Platt and, and they should have either reined him in or, or got somebody in to to help and advise him in, in what was you know his first proper managerial role? He'd had that brief
3: spell in Italy. Well, yeah, absolutely. There is a common conception that, that that's absolutely the case, that they just gave him too much free reign. Uh, to spend the kind of money that that some of his predecessors would probably have benefited from, you know, there was a time when Forrest could have strengthened prior to that, and they didn't. Uh, when they could have been more supportive of other of other managers, and then uh, Platt comes in, and they they I wouldn't say they absolutely splashed the cash, but they're a bit willy nilly with their spending, and uh, it 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 didn't really work out, did it? Uh, to to echo what Danny said, bizarrely, even though I was covering Notts County at the time, I, I did uh, go and interview David Platt. Uh, when he was forest manager at, at the time, and I, <laughs> the main memory that stands out is a very curious one. And they spent, I spent, I, I sat with him for a good half an hour, maybe twenty-five minutes, and he spent the entire time with both hands down the front of his trousers, uh, <laughs> just 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 having a good old-fashioned rummage. Uh, and then I was, was left. Was he put you at this time, Paul. Uh, the, very, very adoringly. Yes. Uh, <laughs> at the end of it, I, I was faced with the most awful quandary I've had as a young sports journalist when he reached out his hand to shake my hand. <laughs> Uh, and I didn't know what to do for about five seconds. I was faced with the most stark decision of my young journalistic career, and I just sort of <laughs> said, "I'm really sorry, David, but I know where you've had your hand for the last half hour." And he, <laughs> thankfully, he just sort of laughed and and you know let me off shaking his his, his hand because I knew where it had been. Uh, but at the time, he was quite. I remember talking to him about the three Italians at that point, and he was he was very. Uh, very open and, and honest. I, I can't remember exactly what he said because it was years ago. But I remember him then being quite open and honest about the decisions he'd made. And uh, he was a very affable, friendly character. Uh, he, he just didn't really do a, a very good job of
0: managing Nottingham Forest, did he? He fell out with Larry Lloyd, didn't he? I think he, I think he had a massive. I think Larry Lloyd was was just slaughter him in the. Oh yeah. In, for radio and I, and he banned him. I think, didn't da- he? I think Darren Fletcher got on with 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 David Platt. In fact, when I did the interview with. with Platt, Darren got in touch to sort of, you know, just to see how he was doing. So they obviously got on. But I think Larry Lloyd very quickly upset him by, you know, Larry was very outspoken and quite funny with it a lot of the time. And and I think it, I think there was, what, I, how I heard it was that there was some sort of ultimatum of if that radio station was basically going to continue covering Forest and getting access that Larry Lloyd was going to have to go. Um, so I think, um, I think Larry left and was very hurt by that experience. But actually I think I think Platt actually got on with them, the 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 local media otherwise.
1: Yeah, it was um Century one oh six I was making cups of tea for them um, during that season. He, yeah, we've got a tweet from AD which I simply must read out regarding Larry Lloyd on the three Italians. He said One's older than me, one's slower than me, and the other one has the size of a P. I think one of them, the size of a P, might be uh, Gianluca Petrachi, Nicky. who we haven't really spoken about too much. Now, I remembered him as the best of the three, kind of tricky winger. Um, but look back in, looking back on his spell, he only played 15 games, didn't manage a goal. Uh, and this week, he's been talking about his time at Forest, and, and it's fair to say he doesn't reflect on it too fondly
2: yeah um he, he was giving it, so so he Patracchi was uh, has sort of carved out a career for himself as a director as kind of sporting director uh, in Italy he was I kind of first connected the dots when he was the guy who signed Joe Hart for Torino um, and he, he then moved on to Roma um, where I, I, it didn't go. I don't think, and he gave an interview to Correo della Sport um, where he was asked about his relationship with Roma's American owner, or former um, owner, Jim Palotta, um, and their sort of communication between the two. And he said, I don't speak English. I'm lazy. But then again, I don't have a good memory of my time in England. I was injured and I thought I was bluffing. They called me an Italian mafia member. There was racism, but speaking Italian, was a matter of pride for me, so I mean, it kind of sounds like he did. He almost didn't learning learn English as a point of principle, which I sort of loosely have to respect in a, is a, on a kind of very petty level. Um, but yeah, like you said, he was he, he looked um, pretty decent for a few months, and then he um, kind of constantly got injured, and um, you know, as he suggested, maybe people didn't quite. believe believe that he was injured all the time but from there his career sort of petered out a little bit
1: Yeah, Gary tweeted us to point uh, as in the direction of a standout Petraki performance, I remember being at the City ground for this one actually, 4-1 win against Walsall a win against Walsall uh, Forest (laughs) scorers that day, Ian Wright a Steve Chettle pen and a Dougie Friedman brace Uh, Other tweets that we've had, Forza Garibaldi puts on tin hat, clears throat, nervously utters, Matricano was a good player. The injury at Port Vale meant he was tossed in with the other two as a terrible signing. Don't think he ever played again. Real shame. Manini made Nicky Eden look like Usain Bolt. Uh, (laughs) Sam says, I remember getting that season's edition of Championship Manager and being dumbfounded by their wages. I was only 13, but I knew... We were on the road to ruin and finally Maxim laments. Went to Portman Road for the 99.00 season opener, fully confident we'd make an immediate return to the top flight. Unfortunately, all three of them started the game. We were thoroughly underwhelming and we lost 3-1. Um, Danny, what, what do you think the, the, the legacy of these these signings were? Did it mean that, that Forrest did tighten the purse strings a little bit? It certainly felt like that was the case once Platt left and, and Paul Hart took over.
0: Yeah, well, I, Paul Hart is always the person I felt sorry for, really. Um, I mean, there was the point when after the after we reached the playoffs, that was really the the time that everyone wanted Forrest to build and um I think at that time Forrest just wouldn't wouldn't give him the money that he wanted. I think there were some promises made that he felt were that he was badly let down on and, and went you know and eventually sort of Paul Hart started thinking that he, he needed to leave and then, you know, I think he spoke to West Ham. Leeds were looking at him for a while and and everything sort of unraveled as it often tends to do with with Forrest, once you once you get once you sort of get close, it always, it's amazing how how many times it sort of then quickly unravels. So yes, yeah, so I think that that was always that was always one of the you know it was always held against Platt that basically it was because of his time there that 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 we've suffered since. I mean, he actually he actually said just going back to when I met him, he actually said you know I still feel sometimes I get blamed for what's happening now. That was him talking, not me. But um, so yes, yeah, so his legacy, you know, he's he's. I mean, he accepts this. He he's he's remembered as probably um, on a long list of, you know, very bad managers. Uh, Forrest have had in the last twenty five years. He's he's remembered as sort of pretty pretty predominant on that list.
2: Uh, without wishing to turn this into a kind of let's all defend David Platt uh, podcast, but. Um... A while ago, in in one of my more self indulgent moments, I thought I was going to write a piece about um, the Italians. So I got, I interviewed Alan Rogers about sort of playing with them. Now, perhaps unsurprisingly, Alan Rogers didn't really remember much about the Italians. He had to kind of be prompted as to what their names were. But what the one thing he did say, and I think he said this on um, some in other interviews as well, he said that Platt was a brilliant coach. He was he was kind of years ahead of his time in some of his methods and he was very good at sort of uh, getting the best out of some players. And it just, uh, like Danny mentioned earlier on, he just made a few mistakes which kind of undermined his, um, his kind of tenure there. Uh, and from there, it was, you know, he was there for two seasons and it never really recovered. But... Um, Rogers said, and I think i I think some other people who were were around at the time as well he was actually a really good coach and in in some respects it was a it was gonna you know a shame that it didn't work out for him at Forest
1: well there you go. I thought we would spend ten minutes or so lamenting the fact that David Platt was once Forest manager instead, maybe we should be getting him back, maybe not
0: <laughs> let's not go too far. <laughs>
1: Danny, before we let you go, let, let's plug your, your latest piece for The Athletic, because it, it focuses on a physio who had the unenviable task of dealing with a Roy Keane injury.
0: Yeah, um, I basically just uh, interviewed a Dave, Dave feverett who, who basically spent uh, a number of years at Manchester United as their physio, and um, he actually left two days after the 1999 um Champions League final so, he, so yeah so lots of great stories from Dave basically he was the guy who who you know helped put Keen, Roy Keane's knee back together and had the you know the task of sort of working with Keane which is never never straightforward is it as we all know Um, you know to put his you know when he did his knee ligaments with, with the first tackle with Alfie Harland but also more than that really just the Ryan Giggs's hamstrings and it's quite interesting just to sort of talk to people about that you don't really um Get much of a chance to sort of hear their side of, of, of their work really and obviously they're sort of massively important you know this guy this guy was talking about sort of fixing Ryan Giggs's car you know because basically his car seats were the sort of wrong angle and it was it was affecting Ryan Giggs's hamstring so so yeah so it was, it was good to speak to him he then went to Blackburn spent a long time there obviously a bit different to my United but lots of great stories from him
1: Excellent. Theathletic.com slash pod, the place to go to sign up for just a pound a week if you're not currently a subscriber. Uh, Danny, thanks so much for joining us today. We'll speak to you again soon.
0: No problem. Well,
1: that's just about it for this week. Paul, you've got a new piece up for Athletic subscribers to read on Frank Clark, somebody who means a lot to Forest supporters of various generations.
3: Yeah, it's part of our what it's like to series and uh, in his case it's what it's like to play for manage and be chairman of a football club and there's uh, (laughs) lots of great stories in there from frank including how uh, how Fawaz al-Hassawi sacked him by letter one minute and then offered uh, him the opportunity to run the club a year later so lots of colourful tales about winning the european cup about leading Forrest back into europe as manager uh, and just comes through as being a, a thoroughly nice man which is what he basically is
1: uh nick that that forest team that he managed in, and took into europe i know it was for me i'm guessing for you one one of your favorite vintages uh, uh forest
2: yeah i mean that it, it was it was one of the the, the last times that forests were kind of genuinely good and not just kind of genuinely good for forest i think as as much as anything, them along with the sort of two thousand two three side that got to the the playoffs. So the if if nothing else, the most likable Forest team I, I think I've ever supported. Um, you know, Bahinan and Brian Roy and you know Steve Stone and of course uh, Stan Collymore. It, they were just a kind of a, a pleasure to watch, and they were a, a team that for for. for even though Forest have been one of the bigger teams in the Championship and League One in the last sort of twenty years, there's always been a sort of bit of a, an inferiority complex with Forest, where we think we are, you know, not as good as as uh, everyone else. or well, that's, that's for me certainly. But I remember at that time we sort of feeling like we genuinely belonged at the, you know, at the top of the Premier League, which we, you know, we were. For, you know, obviously, finished third and then got into Europe, and it was just a, a really exciting time to. Be a Forest fan, particularly for someone of you know uh, of my age, as I was sort of you know twelve, thirteen at the time. It was just it was thrilling, and um, I wish I wish we've had more more years like that since. Yeah,
1: don't we all, um, Nick? W- what have you got in the pipeline? I know podcasts have been taking up a lot of your time recently.
2: Yeah, uh, so I've recently been working on um, a podcast about uh, Neymar's transfer to. Uh, from Barcelona to PSG, which is arguably even more significant than Kevin Campbell going to Trabzonspor in the uh, sort of after-effects and ripple effects that it had. Um, yeah, it's a three-part podcast series. It's called Beyond the Headline, uh, Neymar the Transfer that Changed the World. Um, and it's about how not only is was Neymar's transfer the most expensive of all time by a very, very long way, but how it, it essentially contributed to the current chaos at Barcelona, um, made PSG into a kind of uh, serious challenger at the, at the sort of very top of European football and basically allowed Liverpool to buy the, the team that, that has you know won the Champions League, the World Club Cup and uh, the Premier League. So that should be out next week. It's called Beyond the Headlines. Search for it in all your favourite pod providers and you can also listen to it on The Athletic.
1: Yeah, remember all The Athletic's podcasts are free to listen to and if you listen to it via the website or the app, you get the ads removed as well. And if you want to read Paul's pieces and you're not currently a subscriber, you can head to theathletic.com slash forestpod to sign up for just a pound a week. Uh, Thanks to Daniel Taylor for joining us earlier. Also to Paul and Nick and producer Adonis, but mainly to you, listener. We'll catch up again next week. For now, though, from all of us here, it's goodbye.